You are listening to Hope Fellowship Church of Jaffrey, New Hampshire. If you would like to check out more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit hfcnh.org. So today is uh, the second message in the center of all things, uh, the book of Colossians. It's just our second message here. And we're looking at verses 9 through 14. In a moment, we're going to read those. Look at Colossians uh, chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. And then next week, we're coming to uh, probably my favorite passage of, of the whole book. And it's just a, a massive passage. And I think it's really well encapsulated by the song we sang already, uh, where we sang, you are worthy of it all. And I can't remember the exact phrasing, but it's, you know, you are before all things, and, and that word, all things is in there many times and I find it really helpful as singing very similar to what the song that we find even in Colossians 1, the preeminence of Christ, that he is before all things and by him all things consist and hold together. And so we'll be looking at that next week. But what we're doing this week is that we're breaking apart as we did the first week, focusing on all the book has to represent, that Jesus is the center of all things. And in Colossians specifically, he, he really narrows our focus in from zooming out. He, he, he does go very big in some of his ideas, but he's constantly bringing us back to the focus, to the center, that Jesus is the center of all things. That was last week's message. And so this week as he opens that big idea, he then gives thanks uh, and, and he says, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. And then he says, I thank God for all of you, and I thank God for the faith that you have in Christ, the love that you have of the, for one another, and the hope laid up for you in heaven. And then this hope that I have is found rooted in the gospel message that he speaks about, that you have understood and the grace of God has come upon you. And then he goes into verse nine. Let's read uh, verse nine. So we just looked at the giving thanks part and now he's gonna be really praying for them and we're gonna hear literally the content of Paul's prayer. What was Paul's prayer like? Well, in verse nine, we, we read a prayer of Paul. Colossians 1, 9, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. We haven't stopped. We've been continually praying for you. Praying without ceasing as you can in 1 Thessalonians. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you will be uh, maybe filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11 says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And he says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And then Paul preaches at him, for he, Jesus, has delivered us, or God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What we just read is a, a little bit of an insight as to some of the content of Paul's prayer. What, would, what were Paul's prayers like? What did he pray? When he sat down to pray for the churches, what, what did he pray for? And it brings up in our mind uh, what prayer really is. And I was talking with several different people this week about prayer, and we even in one of our meetings were talking about prayer, and we were, what is prayer, you know? You think about it. 
For, for sometimes prayer becomes very natural to us, and then at times it can feel very unnatural, right? Prayer can, prayer can feel, I just saying, speaking from a human experience that the prayer at times can feel difficult, can feel challenging, it can feel, dare I say, pointless. <laughs> you ever had those moments where you, am I just talking to nothing, you know? Am I just speaking to the air? Prayer can feel maybe pointless for as if like, does God not already know what I'm gonna say? What's the point of me praying, right? Have you ever, you ever had those thoughts? You know, prayer, prayer can feel at times challenging in those ways and, and, and then to find the right words. Some of you might be saying, I'm not really good with words. I'm not, I'm not one of those preacher teacher dudes who has all these big theological terms and like, I have to know what to say and like, I don't know if my words really mean as much as say Ben's words. Like does Ben's words mean more than your words or something? You know, like whose words? And then it, prayer can be, I'm just saying, a, a, a habit of life, of the Christian life that, that can be at times challenging. So I wanna express that. And even for myself, as I pray corporately, or as, as we as elders often lead the congregation in prayer, uh, we have a, a temptation in our own hearts that we have to, to be careful against as Jesus warns us over and over. Don't be like the Pharisees who pray only for men to see them pray, right? <laughs> they don't mean what they say. They're praying in vain repetitions. They're praying in ways in order so people look at them. Oh Lord, I so thank you, God, that I am not like those other people, the publicans and the sinners, right? I am the great Pharisee, right? We have to be careful of that when we pray corporately or publicly. And then Jesus often says, get to the heart of prayer, get to the heart of it, and go into your closet, pray by yourself. Nobody sees you, just you and your Father can be in communion and in conversation with one another. And then there's a variety of types of prayers. As we look at prayer, you think through, you know, uh, corporate prayer, like I'm saying, is I often, as we just led, we lifted up requests, and that could be corporate prayer. You could say um, there are varieties of, like, even an invocation of a prayer. It's a prayer that Lars Traffy did earlier, as he's opened and welcomed the church service. As he welcomed people, he said, welcome to hope, and then we prayed to begin the service. Dear God, Lord, we pray in this opening prayer. And then there's a prayer of benediction that I often pray here, uh, pray in weddings and funerals, a prayer of benediction that is a sense of closing of a certain aspect of corporate meeting, uh, but yet also a sense of blessing upon a certain people. For we find that even in the Old Testament as, as we go all the way back to numbers in the, the benediction as we say, may the Lord bless you and keep you. And now our church has started recently to start singing that blessing together at the end of a service to sing a prayer of benediction together. Uh, there's prayers of intercession where we see Moses and Jesus and a variety of other people throughout the scripture interceding on behalf of others and situations. Intercession. We find prayers for all kinds of needs and supplications that are made that we pray specifically for situations that we're aware of individually. We intercede, we seek, and we need. And then there are prayers of, in some ways, I find in my heart often praying just prayers of communion or, or, or relational prayers with God as I'm driving. Just, God, help me today. You know, like, it's not this flowery, amazing prayer. It's often just a prayer of, 
of just humble simplicity and Lord, I need your help. It's a prayer you might be saying as I did as a student very often before I took a test. I wouldn't say it out loud, but in my head, oh Lord, help me here, right? As you're about to take, you know, a prayer of just humble cry or desperate need, depending where you find yourself in that test, right? And whatever you are doing. And so what I'm trying to say is prayer is a, prayer is a very complicated subject. It's a prayer that is, Prayer is a, is, a, is a very mysterious thing as well. It's something that as I pray, I begin to learn and grow and understand prayer more. I think prayer is one of those things that I find challenging to preach or talk about uh, because oftentimes it's one of those things you can talk about it without ever really doing it, right? We can learn about it in our knowledge and we can talk about prayer and read verses about prayer, but if we don't actually pray, I think you really struggle to find out what prayer is. And so prayer in so many ways, I find it very helpful in my life to read prayers of others and to have their prayers help to inform and to give me information into my prayers. So oftentimes when I struggle with prayer, because I'm admitting that, there are times I struggle with it, I will go to the Psalms and I will read a Psalm and pray the words of Scripture in those Psalms. It just helps me formulate what's in my heart, what I'm feeling and thinking, and it'll help formulate my words that I'm trying to express to God. And yes, there are times when I'm praying that Lord would change or do the situation and there are times when those prayers are answered there's a yes or there's a no or there's a wait there are times in my prayers where I'm just praying and I find myself starting out with one situation in my mind and then in the end of my prayer my heart has been changed through my relationship with God and communion and the spirit of God has changed me maybe more than I feel like I've really changed God. But I have grown in the knowledge of his will by communing and conversing with him like a child speaks to a father. So prayer is something that I think is so vital. It is, you could say, the, the engine that drives the church, you would say. It is that, that central driving force behind all things. And I am tempted very often as a preacher, as a teacher, in the busyness of life to focus so much on my study and my knowledge and my understanding of what I have to say and totally forego the prayer closet, you could say. Ian Bounds talks about how the uh, prayerless preaching he talks about you know, makes, prayer, makes you know, ultimately weak churches. But, but, but the, the, the sermons that come, the, the messages that come, the where you are in life can be fueled and can be um, really encouraged and strengthened by prayer alone. I don't think they're separate as if study and prayer, we'll, we'll talk about that. I'm starting to skip ahead here, but I'm just, I'm wanting to try to encapsulate some of these kinds of things we're thinking through today. And there are prayers of joy and happiness and prayers of lament. Yesterday I was at a funeral of a friend, I won't go into details, but they, they lost their baby boy in, in the birth and it was really tragic and sad and there were prayers of lament. And we find in the scriptures in lamentations and psalms, times of mourning and grieving, of praying our lament. Lord, why is it that it feels as if you do not care and you do not hear? God desires for us to pray that to him, knowing though, that our hearts will be changed when we encounter him and we give our doubts and fears to him, that he will answer us in those things. And then there's prayers of hope and like I said, happiness and joy and benediction and blessing. And so what I wanna begin with is in verse nine, and we're just walking through this today. I think today's message is um, 
in some ways a little more, uh, it's a message that I, I, you're gonna have to think about with me. Are we, are we okay with that? We're gonna put our thinking caps on today, okay? As I, I know, some of you hate that, okay? Uh, it might, reminds me of school uh, or an elementary class, right? We, put our th- we think today. And yet I don't want us to just think, oh, I understand that. I want us to allow that thinking to uh, invade our heart's desires for God in such a way that when you leave this place, you're gonna be impacted to change your ethic of living or your actual actions and your lifestyle will be altered because God's word has a power to do that, to alter and transform us based on what we grow in And so right here, it begins with verse nine, and and it says, so from the day that we heard of it, right, we have not ceased to pray for you. That's why I said the title of today's message is I'm praying for you. You guys, you guys use that phrase a lot. Anybody use that phrase a lot? Sometimes more than others. Uh, When you're on Facebook, uh, very often, you'll, I'll, I'll either post prayer hands, right, emojis, right, or, or literally, we're praying for you. And, and that phrase, what does that mean to you? When you hear that phrase, I'm praying for you. Often it, it does depend on who's saying it. Is this just kind of a politician who's saying, our thoughts and prayers are with whomever that we don't really care about because I'm saying this for my public image. Or there is somebody who's saying it, I'm praying for you and you know the content of that person and you know they're praying for you. There's something very different than that. And, and I think we could all find in situations in our lives that you've been in when you know you have felt, you could say, the prayers of the church. You've been through situations in your life when you personally have prayed for others or where you know others were praying for you. And those people were praying for you, they were interceding for you, they were keeping you constantly in their prayers. That you are on their mind they are praying for you. There is something there that what I'm saying is let us not just vain, re, vainly repeat a comment on a Facebook post saying I'm praying for you and not do it. Let us really have the content of our prayer lives be as such that when we post prayer hands or I'm praying for you, it actually means to that person, not just a face or a, or a nice statement, but it means that you are actually talking to God on behalf of that person out of love for them and their situation. For you know, very soon you could be in that same situation and the situation is reversed and that person says, I'm praying for you. That is the growth of the church together as we come together. So when Paul says to these church members and believers, I'm praying for you, they know what that means. That he is praying for them and then he says, I'm praying for you and what am I gonna pray for you? I'm praying for this. It's really cool because we gotta look at what Paul prays for. So what does he pray for to begin with? He says, I'm praying for you what? Asking that you what? Well, that you may be, verse nine, if we could put that up here on the screen, verse nine, it says that you may be filled, filled with what? The knowledge, that you may be filled with knowledge. Right, what, what does that mean? We're filled with knowledge of what? His will and spiritual wisdom and understanding. You guys, you guys catch that? There's three words there he uses. A knowledge, wisdom, understanding. You sense that, this mind, this sense of this is what God is doing, this knowledge, wisdom, understanding. It's this in, internal, yes, but, but grasping it in the head, but having a knowledge of what? Just a gain of knowledge? Well, it says knowledge of God's will. What, what is God's will to you? 
maybe a phrase that I think has lost its meaning over time, even for myself, like when I say, I hope you find God's will, do you know what I mean? Oftentimes we'll, we'll talk about that phrase of God's will like, I hope you find the right person you're gonna marry, you know? Or I hope you find that job, the right job, or I hope you find uh, what college you're gonna go to, or I, I hope you find out what it is that you're supposed to do with your life, like the right path you're supposed to be on. We, if we choose, you know, door number one or door number two or door number three, we're, we're seeking for God's will is what it is, and if we pick the wrong door, boom, we've messed it all up, right, you know? And so I think sometimes we think of God's will as only in terms of that, finding God's will for my life, taking the right path or not making the wrong choice. And so I believe that this passage is not really talking about that, that you find necessarily kind of this right choice or path kind of a thing. But, but I, I believe he's communicating more deeply this understanding of God's will as it pertains to his being, who God is, his nature, his character, his desire, It is his wish and desire. It is his sovereign will, his purpose and intention for all things. The whole story of the Bible is, in a sense, what it is to describe God's will. What is his purpose and intent for the situation that I'm facing or that I find myself in? What is it that God's will communicates to me in a broader spectrum than, than just where I'm in right now? How is it that I see the entire will of God manifest itself to me and so that I can see and sense what it is God's doing? So this idea that I I must learn God's will but not be just have this head knowledge but that I would be filled with it. Do you see that in verse nine? That this be filled with the knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom. Being filled with it. Similar wording here as we also see in the scripture as you're gonna see different ways of being filled with the Spirit or walking with the Spirit. This idea of having it fill up your whole being. We're also here filled up with the knowledge of God's will. Being filled up with God's revelation, his plan, his desire, who Jesus is and how that relates to me and how my belief should just fill me up and, and, and be everything, that Jesus is the center. Why am I here? What is God's purpose for the world and what is God's purpose for my small part to play in that? That I may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Not just a knowledge of how God wants us to particularly live our life, but a knowledge of who God is and how he is expressed in the image of Jesus Christ as Jesus is the image of the invisible God. It's a knowledge of God's nature, who he is, his will for mankind, his will to make all things new, the new earth, the new heaven. In the sense, this mystery of Jesus Christ, the gospel and the will of God being revealed to us through the scripture and through our lives. And so it's understanding these depths which allow us to take shelter in the most confusing of times. When our minds are confusing and being distracted all different directions, we grow in a knowledge of God and his desire for mankind and for myself in that picture of what he has done. And I play a part in that as I grow and learn and understand. So there is a sense of growing in knowledge and being filled with what God's will would be. And so I've used this illustration before, but we often think of it, you know, if you think of like a a mystery novel, or if we don't read anymore, maybe, so more like a crime drama uh, TV series or something. And, And as you start in episode one, or as you start in chapter one of that mystery, it begins, or you don't know who killed who. 
You don't know who did what. You don't know who the person is at the end, but you're suspecting all of these things and there's all of these factors and characters and people and you're trying to guess along the way and as that, that chapter goes or as you binge watch the episode and episode, more knowledge comes at you. You grow in knowledge and you start to understand the storyline and the plot and the narrative and your place in it as a viewer or the place of that character within that storyline and you begin to see that mystery revealed. For a mystery is not a sense of hoping you don't find out the end. A mystery, or as Paul says, a mystery of the gospel or the mystery of God's will is that we would grow in knowledge of it and it would be a revealed truth. As we pursue the knowledge and press into God, the Holy Spirit will literally illuminate our eyes. For once we were blind, but now we see. And there's a growing understanding and a revealing and then we have these aha moments where life begins to coincide and make sense to how God is working in and through us. And this is what we could say uh, could be encapsulated in the, Paul, in the verse and the words that Paul uses. He says spiritual wisdom. Spiritual wisdom, that is not just wisdom which is like taking knowledge and applying it in a practical and wise way using the knowledge you have in a wise manner, he, he's also saying that this is a certain level of spiritual wisdom and understanding. That you grasp the physical in a way that also coincides and collides with spiritual things so that you can see things that you didn't see before. In a sense, you know that what you're walking through and going through is according to the way God would have it. And we see that ultimately this spiritual wisdom is, is this Holy Spirit empowered understanding, this illumination, this knowledge. And maybe some of you who have been saved for a long time can think back to who you were before you came into this understanding and knowledge and you've grown in a grasp and a depth and as Colossians and Paul would say, in a maturity. We mature and grow as our knowledge does the same. But we don't just learn about the power of Jesus Christ in order to get a big head, right? We don't just learn and study and grasp these theological truths in order for it to stay neck up, right? Into this head. For ultimately faith without works is dead. And if our knowledge and our theological understanding and our relationship with Christ has no transforming power into our lifestyle, then what exactly is it really doing? Our lives should actually be changed. And so I think that's what Paul then begins to pray for. Look at verse nine as he says, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. But then he goes on in verse 10. If we look at verse 10, he says, so as you would what? Would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, a lifestyle fully pleasing to him. And then he describes what that lifestyle fully pleasing looks like. So it's not just gaining a knowledge of God, studying theology in order to remain unchanged. You can go to seminary, you can study, you can memorize all the Sunday school verses, you can go to every single church service and you can have in a way where it stays in your head and never changes your heart or desire for all it is is a theological or intellectual um, challenge for you. Many people know the scripture, study it as a book like any other 
There are actual transcendent truths that I believe actually transform our living today. That statement I just said is an absolutely, totally countercultural statement to the world we're living in today. Completely. And so our choices, our treatment of others, our decisions, our habits, uh, what we face in this life can actually be transformed. Um, Ben read the passage in Ephesians 4, which is the sister passage here to Colossians 3. Colossians 3 verse 9 says, put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is what? Being renewed, do you guys know? Being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Isn't that cool? The knowledge there coming in here. This knowledge, we're being renewed in knowledge. Our new self is being put on so that we may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. This is Christian truth. Knowledge of God informs our lifestyle. And Paul always connects these things together. He never really separates them. He's always saying that it is that growth in knowledge that reflects in our lifestyle, in our bearing of fruit, Right? So yes, you can study and go to seminary and it not make a single difference in your life. I also believe you can do the opposite. You can never study, never think, never put in the diligence or the time to truly think and understand and just sit on your couch and hope there's this massive experience that changes your life and we just hope that something happens like that and that won't make a difference in your life. There's a connection between the two. He's not sporting anti-intellectualism or pro-only intellectualism. I think there's this beautiful, mysterious union of the two as we are both physical beings and spiritual beings that God has united the two here in this sense that we grow in our knowledge of God that then spills out into our Christian life. And as we live in a holy and obedient manner to God, that Christian life informs our theology and knowledge of God. And it goes like this in a big circle. And that is what we call the Christian life. N.T. Wright says it this way, speaking of verses nine and 10 together, that they form a miniature picture of the Christian life and growth. The argument is not circular as it might first appear, but it is spiral. Paul says and prays that they would increase in knowledge of God's will with the result that the Colossians would live as God wants them and so increase in the knowledge of God. Understanding will fuel holiness. Holiness will deepen understanding and the deeper and deeper you go are connected as you plumb the depths of who God and his nature is. For your holy living, your, your ethic and your desire to please him in obedience and your understanding of God and your study and your pressing into the Holy Spirit, they are connected as they plumb like a drill, drills down deeper and deeper into the ground and will never plumb the end of it. We'll never get down to the bottom until he returns. So I believe in a sense that we cannot separate Christian life into secular and sacred or spiritual and physical as we need both together. For we experience both together. And so the knowledge of God ought to breed holy living and a holy living informs our knowledge of God and grows our knowledge of God which then facilitated by the Holy Spirit informs our holy living and and it is this cycle of learning to imitate Christ and follow him and walk on the path and the road that he is leading us on and as we do we mature and we are renewed and we grow and there's transformation and there's long-term impact and there are times of explosion and experience where that radically transforms and happens. And there are times of long journey of, you could say, long obedience in the same direction. 
to walk in a manner worthy, fully pleasing to him. A Christian life, I think, is really more about this concept of walking. Yes, this idea of running, as Paul says too, that's like a race. We have pressing into it, pressing on, walking through life, learning and growing and continually to put the first, the next step in front of the other. In fact, the Jewish thought often pictured life or a Christian life, what it means to be a Christian or what it means to be and have faith as a walk, as a journey. They often described it in the Old Testament as a path that we walk upon and as we follow the one who leads us upon that path, we follow and imitate our Savior Jesus Christ. As he leads us down that path, we grow and learn of him. This is a sanctifying process of spiritual life and power and obedience to the growing knowledge of God and his will that we are even experiencing in this very moment. If you allow yourself to press into the truths that are being taught here, you in this very moment are being transformed. You're like, but Jordan, I don't really remember what you preached on six months ago. That's okay, I don't either. <laughs> but we are transformed when we allow our hearts to walk in that knowledge as we encounter it. But if you choose in this very moment under the preaching and the singing and the prayer and the community of the believers, if you allow in that moment to harden your heart and to push it away, I believe you can do those similarly. You can push that sense away and you will find yourself further from him. So six months ago to now, you should find yourself closer to God as we press into him, as we are maturing in him, as we are transformed in the knowledge that we grow. It's not just pure memorizing certain things and remembering everything we've heard, but being transformed by the scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit when we walk and we sit under the preaching and the truth of God's word. We walk in him. Colossians 1.28 talks about we walk in him so that we may present everyone mature in Christ, mature to grow up and to walk Maybe there are times of these big bangs, explosions in our lives, and yes, there are those times where I've seen radical transformation in people. But there are also times when I've seen these long, same walking, and I think there are a mixture of both, and one shouldn't try to point to the other and make everyone have to have that same experience. It's a spiral of depth, of growing. It's like a triathlon, it's like a race. Many of you participated in the full throttle, right, or whatever. And uh, the, there's this idea of we're, we're starting the race, but so many people want to start the race and they want to finish it that day, right? They just want to be done, or they want to have the first place trophy today, now. They don't want to go through the years of training or the disciplined, holy living, you could say, of choosing not to do this and yet choosing to go out and for a bike ride and go for a swim and hike the mountain and choosing to physically buffer yourself and to endure the suffering of growth and maturity that it takes in order to be the winner of that race, right? Or to beat Larsavala on the downhill, right? Like in order to do that, it's going to take years of training, time, focus, dedication. The Christian life is not not so dissimilar. In many ways, it can be similar as we walk together, and it is a group effort, and that's the beauty of it. Often races are individual things as you go on your own, but in, in the church, we're running together. We're pressing together, and we're helping each other to encourage one another and to pick one another up when they fall, and, we, and we, we pray for one another, and we're like, get back up. Here we go. We're going down the race. Let's put one step in front of the other. I know you're tired, but I'm here. Let's go, and we're gonna walk together down this road following Jesus as he leads us. This is the beauty of the church. This is the beauty of the Christian life. We grow in knowledge, and we walk in him. And so then it goes on, and I'm gonna kind of do this quickly as it goes through these main points where he gives these words. 
If you look at verse 10 and 11, I believe it is, uh, it talks through these ideas of that you would be living a life fully pleasing to him in verse 10. And then it says, bearing fruit in every good work. Verse 11 says, being strengthened. Or some of your versions might say being uh, growing or increasing. Oh, sorry, that's verse 10. Increasing and growing in the knowledge. And then verse 11, being strengthened. Then verse 12, giving thanks. It's this life, a a fruit-bearing life, an increasing life, an empowered life, and also a thankful life. It's this together, this sense of living a life, a Christian life is one that bears fruit, a, a fruit of the spirit kind of a life, that your life actually bears fruit. For how do we know someone is filled with the spirit? We know because they are bearing fruit. Actually, their good works demonstrate their faith that they have. Right, it's not that our good works get us someplace, but our good works are evidence of what is going on within our heart. Ephesians 2.8 talks about this concept. As Ephesians 2, verse eight says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one would boast, but we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You guys remember that? for good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We walk in the way that God has designed us to walk for we were created for tov, for good, for good works. We are created for that and so our lives ought to bear the fruit of the spirit, ought to bear the the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Our lives bear that. And our lives are in increasing lives. They are growing lives. It says we're increasing it. We're studying, we're thinking, we're working. We're increasing in our knowledge of God. And it is a transformative practice. There's some things in which our, our knowledge is only knowledge, but if knowledge lands there and doesn't get to the seat of our desires and heart and transform us from within, we're missing something. So I think knowledge and growing and reading is also a practice, it is a habit, it is daily, it's a habitual physical thing, but it is spiritually transformative. Or you could say it is spiritually formative, is it forms you and who you are as a Christian and how your life exemplifies the formation that is happening happening within you through the power of the Holy Spirit as you interact with God and his word and grow in knowledge of him. This is the Christian life is what it means to be sanctified, to grow in him. And then it is also, however, for some of you are thinking, that sounds challenging. And I've been trying that, Jordan, and it's difficult. And I feel at times that that is a lofty goal that I cannot attain. I feel like that many times as well. The encouraging thing is Paul does not just pray that you would do, 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 grow, 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 yada, yada, yada. He says actually, verse 11, look at verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Paul prays for them, for a life that would be pleasing to God, that our lifestyles would reflect the knowledge that we have of God, but that we would live an empowered life, that the great thing about the Christian life is the fact that this empowered living is learning God's will for your life, growing in the knowledge of his will, but finding that God is for us. God will complete the good work that he has begun in you. And as Douglas Moo says, what God demands, he supplies. Or or you can think of it this way, God gives what he demands. He's demanding the growth, but he says he will supply you with all spiritual power with his glorious right arm, you could say. 
his powerful might. There's no temptation or trial in which you are walking in that God does not supply uh, the needed grace to escape it, to conquer it, to fulfill this aspect of growth and spiritual life. Walking in the spirit so you would not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The spiritually empowered life evidences itself in our good works and evidences itself in our lives and the way we encounter trials and the hardships of life. For what does it say in that next phrase? Being strengthened with all, um, with all power according to his glorious might. For what? For endurance, for patience, with joy. Right? Happiness based purely on your circumstance or joy that transcends your circumstance. A joy that's there that is a dynamite kind of power. For that word strengthened and power both come from the word Dynamis or dynamite where we get this explosion kind of concept. Power and strength are very similar words. And so we are strengthened with this exploding power of God so that we can endure really hard stuff. We can endure it. And, and we can have patience in the middle of times when it is not natural to have patience. And we can do it with joy. Why? Because me? Because I'm so awesome. I'm a Pharisee up here. No. <laughs> the opposite. Because I'm relying on God because he's the one who strengthens me with his power that explodes in my life that actually transforms the way I live. It isn't just stuff we talk about. It isn't just stuff we come and sing about and leave and never, never makes a difference in your daily life. No, in fact, it is very practical. And so I don't know, uh, I was talking with somebody the other day, they were saying, as they were thinking about different situations that people are walking in, they're like, I don't know how they get through that situation. I, I heard this phrase, I don't know what I would do if I were them in that place. And you're like, I, I would say the same, I don't know what I would do. I don't know, but you know what? When you're in that moment, and you're relying on this and walking in the spirit, God's grace is sufficient for you, is it not? God will supply all your needs. And at times looking out, we're like, I don't know how they're getting through that. I know how. It is God's grace in the middle of that storm. It is God's power. Second Corinthians 12, seven. Paul is talking about this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan to harass him. Three times he pleads with the Lord. And what does he say in verse nine? And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power, dunamis, is made perfect or complete in my weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ, that I am content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When we find ourselves at our weakest, we find ourselves relying on God's mighty, glorious might. That is when we find that we are strengthened and we find that we are strong. And then that is when we find, to close this out, that we can be thankful. For in verse 12 and through 14, he begins a different, uh, he shifts his focus. He begins and says, and for all of that, I pray all of those things to you and I pray that in the midst of all that, you can give thanks. You can give thanks. You know why? Because of the gospel. You can give thanks because of the gospel. And, and then he goes in a little bit of a rehearsal for the source of their faith. He rehearses it with them. Like, remember everybody, what is the source of our faith? What is the source of our joy? What is the source of all of this? Why is it that we can be thankful in whatever situation it might be? Or as Paul says, in whatever situation I find myself in, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened of me because I found the secret of contentment. I found out how to be content. It is because as he rehearses his faith, he says you can give thanks because why? You share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You are people of light. 
saints, holy ones, walking in light, and you share the inheritance of God that is preserved for you in heaven one day. There is a hope that cannot be touched. That hope is yours through God's inheritance through your belief in him. You can be thankful and you can mark it down. And so what he does, is he does a little preacher on him. He goes a little preacher on him. He preaches at him. He's been praying, 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 and then he preaches at him. He preaches the gospel. He preaches at him. He says, look, remember, you're qualified. You're qualified to receive this. You were disqualified at one point, walking in darkness, but now the light of the world shines upon you. And then look at the beautiful presentation of the gospel in verse 13 and 14. Love these verses. These are verses we're gonna use as we close. Look at verses 13 and 14. They are just like, they're, 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 they're a whole sermon on their, on their own, but I, we can't do that today, and I hope you guys can focus on these verses. Colossians um, 1, verse 13 and 14, listen to this. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption of sins. Shifts his focus, he begins by thanking God for the Colossian church. I thank God for Hope Fellowship Church for their hope, for their faith, for their love, for the gospel in which they believe. I pray that they would continue in that gospel. I thank God for that. Then he prays for them and he says, I pray for you that you would, be, you would grow in the knowledge of God and his will in spiritual wisdom and understanding. I pray that you would be a, live a life that is worthy of God, a life fully pleasing to him. Oh God, I pray for hope that they would be a place that, that is bearing fruit, increasing in spiritual wisdom, increasing in the knowledge of God that they would be a people that are not relying on their own strength, but that they would be strengthened day by day by the glorious might of God, and that they would remember their calling, that this calling and power has given to them would allow them to endure trials, to be patient in tribulation, and they would do it with joy. And I pray, God, that they would be a people that walks in this way, that remembers their faith, remembers the source of it. They're qualified to receive an inheritance in which they do not deserve, but only by the grace of God. God, we pray that he would be delivering us in this manner, that we would remind ourselves that we have been delivered from the domain of darkness. We've been transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. There's a a sense of what that might have sounded like, what that might be like when we pray. He gives thanks, he prays and he preaches the truth of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you were once walking in darkness. You were once blind, but now you see. And we are redeemed, we are delivered. The word there is actually rescued. You've been literally rescued from darkness and you're now walking in light. And not only rescued to walk on your own, but you are now transferred from a domain now into a beautiful kingdom of God with Jesus as your king. He is the king. We walk in his kingdom and in this kingdom we have redemption. It means we have been purchased. Or we have been, we have been uh, rescued and delivered. We have been redeemed. And you know what that means? That means you're forgiven. It means you're forgiven. Your sins are forgiven, and there are a lot of reasons. There are a lot of reasons to praise God today, for he is worthy of it all. He is worthy of it all. He is the center of all of this. We praise him for these truths. We give him the glory. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you. As we have just discussed and talked about prayer, we often express, Lord, how we feel sometimes really inadequate to know what to pray and how to pray. God, I pray that you would teach us to pray. 
or you laid down the Lord's prayer for us. And God, you have given us this prayer and then we learn through prayer and we pray to you, Lord, expressing our heart. Help us today to leave this place to express to you the things we feel, the things we think. God, give us a heart of understanding for this. Lord, help us to give thanks in all that we are and to continually be in prayer for one another, to not cease to pray, but that we'd be praying for one another. And then, God, that we would directly preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to ourselves. May you be glorified in these things today, for you are Lord and the center of all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.